Well, again, good morning, everyone. Let's try that again. Good morning, everyone. As you know, it is Super Bowl Sunday. It's Super Bowl Sunday. And um, I've got a slide that I would like to show you because we are a biblically-based church. This church sign just tells you. For those of you who can't see it, I'm going to explain. On a First United Methodist Church sign, it says, how many verses in the Bible are about eagles and patriots? Eagles, 33. Patriots, zero. That's my prophetic prediction for the Super Bowl this evening. And if you're a true Christian, you will always stick with the Bible and cheer for the Philadelphia Eagles. So, um, you know, I uh, have on a jersey that's very special to me. I want to kind of go like that. Virginia Wrestling, that's right. And uh, I am the chaplain for the University of Virginia Wrestling team which has been a real joy for me. I just kind of stepped into this very, very recently, and it's been a whole lot of fun, and it's been great to get to know uh, a bunch of the wrestlers I've known, the coach, Steve Garland, for a long time. And so I'm going to pitch a quick commercial to you. Next Sunday in Mem Gym, in Memorial Gym, if you're not familiar with the grounds at UVA, you'll know that the tennis courts are right on the corner. Um, there, as you're kind of moving towards UVA, the tennis courts are on the corner. If you just kind of keep traveling down that road, you'll see the gymnasium. That's Memorial Gym. We call it Mem Gym right on your left as you're traveling deeper into the university. And uh, next Sunday morning or afternoon, Sunday morning you'll be in church. And uh, next Sunday afternoon at 1 o'clock, the University of Virginia wrestling team will be wrestling against Virginia Tech. Thank you. Way to boo again. Um, but uh, so we'll be wrestling uh, Virginia Tech at 1 o'clock, and it's free. So everyone ought to be cheering right now. It's free admission. There you go. And so we'll be over there at 1 o'clock um, to wrestle Virginia Tech. And I do want to say this. Virginia Tech is nationally ranked. They're a very good team. But with God's help and you cheering and prayer, we're going to crush them. We are. We're just going to body slam them in the name of Jesus, and uh, we'll see how it goes from there. So I'm excited about that. Would love for you to come. It's also senior night, which is a big night where they really uh, send off those seniors that have been wrestling for the team, and so it's going to be a great time. Again, I wear this shirt with pride, and this is the team that I'm rooting for on Super Bowl Sunday. I do really want to uh, give a shout-out to one person in the, in the congregation who they know that I'm a Packer fan, and uh, they actually wore their cheese head to church this morning, and that God's going to bless that. I don't know how, but if you're that bold, God's going to bless you there, Mr. Rapp, and uh, he's going to be especially good. Yeah, there you go. Good job. It's been an exciting weekend for me and my family. On Friday night, we met over at the Doubletree Hotel in the big uh, ballroom there, and the staff and the board here at City threw a 20th anniversary party for me, my wife, and my children. And it was awesome. I can tell you it is very humbling 
Thank you. It's been very humbling and yet encouraging as hundreds of people packed out that ballroom, and we had a blast. There was a game show. Um, one of my mentors, Dick Foth, was here, and he kind of gave this wonderful message from his heart. He's been a mentor to me for many, many years. And this morning, um, I want to introduce to you a friend of mine that I have been in literally weekly contact with over 30 years. And so, Dr. Joe Castleberry, I want you to come on up here and join me on stage. By the way, I did want to say this. It was very, very moving for me because someone here at City Church who's part of our church family, you can come on over here, Joe, um, who is part of our church family, reached out to the leadership of City and asked them if my son, Peter, was coming home from Cambridge University in England where he's doing a master's. The answer was no, and they gave the money. And so Peter flew to be part of the 20th celebration from England. And uh, I can tell you that absolutely blew me away. That by far was the greatest gift because as a relationally driven person, Family is so important. How many of you know that? Family is so important. And so to have him here celebrating with us, Dick Foth has become a mentor to him as well. And so for him to be home and to celebrate with us was tremendous. So, Joe, I want you to step over here. I want to say a couple of things about Joe. Many of you know that I had the honor and the privilege and the blessing of serving as a chaplain at Princeton University for 10 years. And Joe was my predecessor at Princeton. And so we met probably literally for two hours. The hire was very late. The academic season was already up and really getting ready to roll. And Joe is my predecessor, walked me around campus at Princeton, showed me, introduced me to a few people, and then he actually was taking off to the mission field in El Salvador. He had been called by God to exit being a chaplain and move towards foreign missions. And so Joe and I had a very, very brief overlap. But over the years, Joe is now known by my children as Uncle Joe. He is literally known as Uncle Joe. That's how close we've been all of these years I, can't tell me you, I cannot tell you how many times I've called him. I've said, Joe, here's what I'm facing. Here's what I'm struggling with. He's done the same with me. And we have journeyed together in our callings for the past 30 years. And so I couldn't think of anyone better to ask, come and preach on this wonderful 20th anniversary weekend than Dr. Joe Castleberry. Joe serves as the president of Northwest University in Kirkland, Washington, which is the home base for Costco. In case you didn't know, that's where the Kirkland brand comes from. And so he serves as the president of North, uh, Northwest University in Seattle, Washington. And let's give him a warm City Church welcome as he comes to preach. God bless you, Joe. Well, I, uh, I want to tell you today, I don't like to brag on myself, but I am one of the bravest preachers in America today. Uh, one reason is because my voice is terrible, I have a cold, my energy level is very low, and um, it's, uh, I don't feel like preaching today, I really don't, <laughs> but I'm going to do it anyway. And, and the second reason is because Dick Foth preached on Friday, <clears throat> and the contrast is not in my favor. 
<laughs> I, um, I'm brave that way. And um, I'm, I'm so brave that way. I had Dick Foth speak at my college uh, in, 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 February, in uh, January uh, while I was away. And it was probably better to be away because they loved him. <laughs> they, they loved him. So uh, this contrast with Dick Foth is something that, uh, you know, I just suffer it. But <laughs> gosh, he's so good, isn't he? What a wonderful preacher. So with, with, uh, with, without fear today, I'm going to preach. The, um, the second thing is I want to mention that to this, today being wear your favorite gear day for Super Bowl, Super Bowl, um, Pete called me. I was in, I was in uh, Dallas earlier before I came here, and uh, he called me and said, Joe, you need to wear your, your sports gear for your favorite team on Sunday. And of course, I'd already left the house, so I thought, okay. Um, so I, I called my wife up and I said, honey, I need you to send me by mail, uh, by next day, uh, you know, ne- two-day delivery, uh, my, my sports gear for, for uh, uh, su- Sunday. And, um, you know, the thing is this, the Seahawks are my NFL team, and they did, you know, they did not deserve for me to wear Seahawks gear on Super Bowl this year. They, they didn't earn it, I'm not doing it. And, of course, my Alabama Crimson Tide, I'm a native of the state of Alabama, and I'm a lifetime Crimson Tide fan. I'm so proud of them this year, especially that Tua Tangovaloa who won that game. And afterwards, he told the press, I was praying in tongues the whole game to keep me calm. And, and uh, <clears throat> when I threw that pass into the end zone, I was praying in tongues, and oh, I was so proud of him. And, uh, but I have this ironclad rule. I don't wear the gear of other universities in public. I am the president of Northwest University, and my loyalties are undivided once I leave my home. <laughs> so, so I decided today to wear the gear of my favorite team, which is the Northwest University chess team. And... Uh, the thing about the Northwest University chess team, you may, not have, you may have missed this on ESPN, so I, I, we are the small college champions of the Western Hemisphere. I know that this is not a big deal for ESPN, it's a huge deal for us. Um, the way that happened is an interesting story. Um, did anybody see the Disney movie, Walt Disney movie, Queen of Cotway last year? Wasn't it a great movie? It was beautiful. You need to watch this movie. It will edify you, and you'll sit there like I did and just weep all the way through it. These beautiful African children living in incredible precariousness. Um, I I watched that movie, and it just just ate me alive. And um, shortly before the movie came out, Elliot Ness was the CEO of Chess for Life, one of America's largest chess teaching companies. He called me up, his, his office is in Kirkland, and we know each other from faith and work stuff that we do. He called me up and he said, Joe, have you seen the trailers for the movie Queen of Cotway? I said, absolutely. And he said, uh, you know, I'm bringing the, the girl, Fiona Mutesi, to Kirkland to study to become a grandmaster. And um, she, the, the story about Queen of Cotway is about a little girl who's a virtual orphan living in a, you know, a dirt floor shack in, in, in the worst slum in Africa. Um, fighting in the streets for food, I mean, just barely eking out in existence, going hungry most of the time. But she went to this church where a missionary was offering chess classes, and he was feeding the children who would come to play chess. And although she had zero interest in chess, she had big interest in eating. 
And she, uh, she went there and had the porridge and played chess and uh, was just an amazing prodigy. And uh, by age 11, had won the Women's National Championship for chess in Uganda, became a member of the Uganda's Olympiad team and went to Russia to play uh, chess in the Olympics there, the chess Olympics. And, and then um, since then has been a perennial uh, favorite in her country. And um, it was time for her to try to go to college. So Elliot said, I'm bringing her to Kirkland to study chess and I need her a place to go to college. She's a Christian. Do you think she could come to Northwest? And I said, um, well, didn't she make a lot of money from the movie? I mean, why do you need money from me? And he said, no, she didn't make any money from the movie. She got enough from the book, which was written by an ESPN reporter, by the way. Um, she got enough money from the book to buy her mother a house, but uh, she, she doesn't have any money, and she can't go to college unless she can find a scholarship. And I said, well, we will, we will give her a full tuition scholarship if you will pay her room and board. And he said, okay, I, that's a deal. So a few months later, Fiona came to Northwest to visit. And uh, by that time, it was already being announced that she was going to a different school because another school had offered her a full ride, room, board, tuition, everything. And I just don't do that because I don't like to play God. Uh, you know, I like God to partner with me and stuff. So I, I offer a full tuition scholarship, but I want her to learn to trust God. I wanted her to learn to have faith, and I wanted her to learn to raise money because I think that's a good skill for her to have in the future. So I, I could have matched the full tuition offer, full, full ride, but I said no. I said, but you come and visit Northwest, and you're going to see that this is where she belongs. And um, she came to visit the campus, and she brought with her Ben Mukumbia, who's a member of the Ugandan uh, national chess team as well, and a brilliant player. He's actually 400 points higher than she is on chess ratings. Um, she brought Ben with her, and the minute Ben walked in the room, I just bonded with him. They sat down and we talked about Fiona and we asked Fiona questions and Ben sat there quietly watching and finally I said, Ben, you're going around with Fiona, she's getting all this attention, she's a Disney princess, um, has anybody offered you a scholarship? And he said, no. I said, well, do you want to go to college? He said, yes, I want to become a brain surgeon. I read about uh, Ben Carson over in Africa and it really inspired me and, I, and a fr friend of mine needed brain surgery and died because he couldn't get surgery and I... I just want to be a, a neurosurgeon. And I said, well, if, you, if you'd like to come to Northwest, we have an excellent pre-med program. Um, I'll give you full tuition if, if Elliot will pay your room and board and help you raise it. <laughs> Elliot said, I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> but, you know, I'll tell you, the Lord moved so powerfully while they visited Northwest. And they saw the, the spiritual atmosphere of our campus and how Jesus is present there. And they they decided they'd take the risk, and they came to Northwest. So that immediately put on me the burden of supporting them because they both want to become chess grandmasters. They're, they're ranked lower than that. But um, I thought, well, I'm going to have to put together a chess team. They moved to campus. Ben moved into his dorm room, and uh, he, moves, he sets up his chess board, and his roommate moves into the room. And the, chest, he is the, the, the roommate is, a, is an Eskimo from Alaska. He, he's one of the 400 Klingit speakers in the world. And he, he walks into the room and he looks and sees the chessboard set up and he says, E4, <laughs> which is his first move. Move the pawn to E4. And uh, it turns out that uh, he was a blindfold chess player and uh, played in blindfold tournaments where you don't get to see the board. And uh, was very, very skilled. Um, 
you know, you just have to keep the board in your head, you know. And I've watched Ben, I've watched Ben play two skilled players simultaneously with no board and beat them both. It's, it's unbelievable that what these guys can do in their heads. But, um, so anyway, there's another terrific chess player. I've never seen two, two people playing chess at Northwest in 10 years. It's not part of our tradition. So... He goes off to, Ben goes off to biology lab and is randomly, dis, I mean, the roommate was randomly assigned, randomly. <laughs> and then he goes off to his biology lab and his randomly assigned biology lab partner is a chess champion from Ohio, uh, from uh, Illinois who'd been in the Navy for four years, got married, was stationed at an Air Force, uh, a Navy base in, in Washington and wound up coming to Northwest. So he was a skilled player and... Uh, with great tournament experience. He's the third best player on campus, but he couldn't be on our team this year because he, he had some marital responsibilities at Christmas time and couldn't go off to Ohio. So then another player came and surfaced that was a, a high school uh, tournament experience player. And um, so we wound up with four excellent players and we went to the Pan American Chess Tournament at Ohio State this year. Uh, that's the big intercollegiate tournament, everything from Canada to Chile all of the Western, the Americas. Um, and uh, our, our first team that we played was Columbia University, and they were tough. <laughs> and we didn't beat Columbia. But there was a small college division. Everybody plays everybody. You have to play the hard teams. And a lot of the teams come, and they're all grandmasters. As a matter of fact, Webster University brought four teams, all grandmasters. Texas, uh, University of Texas at Dallas has eight full rides for grandmasters, and they, they only bring grandmasters from around the world. There's not a single American on their team. They go around the world, bring all the grandmasters who haven't been to college, pay them to go to school, and take that team to, to the chess championships. We can't beat those teams. But Oberlin College was the small, cha small college champion for the last four years. And Oberlin's a good school, $800 million endowment, and very prestigious. We beat them on all four boards. <laughs> And we beat the Tecnológico Nacional de México, and we beat some other teams, and uh, we were able to walk away with the small college championship. It was great. So I proudly wear the uniform of the Northwest University Chess Club. And, uh, you know, we, got, we had several students from City Church at Northwest over the last few years, and you are welcome to take a look at us online or come see us. And if you are a high school student, you really need to come for the summer journey. Uh, Peter will be one of the instructors for that this summer. And uh, several came last year from, I think at least one came from City Church and had a great experience. Uh, this is a terrific um, theological and spiritual experience in the summer. You're going to be with some of the smartest people you ever met uh, and really digging into what it means to follow Jesus. So you really should think about doing that. Numbers chapter 27, verse 18 through 21, I want to talk about the spirit of leadership in honor of 20 years of service for Pete and Fran Hartwig as pastors of City Church. If you'll turn in the Bible, look at it on your computer or look at it on the screen, I'll ask you to stand up for the reading of God's word this morning. And while I didn't want to preach when I stood up, I really want to preach right now. Listen to the word of the Lord. So the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, son of Nun, a man in whom is the spirit of leadership, 
and lay your hand on him. Have him stand before Eleazar the priest and the entire assembly and commission him in their presence. Give him some of your authority so that the whole Israelite community will obey him. He is to stand before Eleazar the priest who will obtain decisions for him by inquiring of the Urim before the Lord. At his command, he and the entire community of the Israelites will go out, and at his command, they will come in. Numbers 27, 18 through 21. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, even as you poured out the Holy Spirit on Moses, even as you poured out the Holy Spirit on the 70 elders of Israel in Numbers 11, even, even as you chose Joshua, a man full of the Holy Spirit, to lead your people, and even as you sent Jesus the Messiah, the anointed one of God, full of the Holy Spirit beyond measure, to walk among us, to take on human flesh and walk among us, to teach us, to heal us, to liberate us, and to go to the cross and die to save us, to rise from the dead by the Spirit of God to give us eternal life. We ask that you would fill everyone here today with the Holy Spirit of leadership. In Jesus' name, amen. You need to be full. You can be seated. You need to be full of the Spirit of leadership because you cannot live a successful life without being a leader. Now, someone may have told you at some point in your life that you're not a leader, or you may have told yourself that you are not a leader. But I got to ask you the question, what kind of life will you lead if you're not a leader? Are you going to lead your life? Are you going to accomplish your dreams? Are you going to become the person you want to become? Do you want your family to be successful? In all of these things, every human being is required to be a leader. No one else can lead your life. It's yours. You've got to make a decision that you're going to be a leader. You can't grow spiritually in your life unless you experience leadership. This is a crucial human category, and it is absolutely false that you are not a leader. The only question is, are you going to be a good leader or a bad leader? <laughs> and being full of the spirit of leadership, being full of the spirit of God is crucial. Now, I've got to tell you, when I read this text, my ears popped wide open. It said spirit of leadership, and I thought, that does not sound right. Now, there was no Bible translation in existence 20 years ago that had the word leadership in it. And I studied Hebrew, and there is no word in Hebrew that means leadership. And I thought there cannot be a word in the Hebrew text of that text that has anything to do with leadership. So I just flipped my little switch on my phone, and it switched the text to Hebrew and read it, and it didn't say leadership at all. All it said was um, to, uh, all it said was, uh, take Joshua, a man in whom is a spirit in him. 
And I thought, wow, that's a long way from literally a man who has a spirit in him with, to a man with a spirit of leadership. That's an interpretive move. And look, I want to give the translators a little credit. Translating from an ancient language into a modern one, or even from a modern language into another one, is not a mere translation literally from one word into another word. You've got to translate ideas, not just words. And so the question isn't whether there's a word in this text that means leadership. The question is whether that's what the author intended to say. Or is that what God intended for us to hear when we read it? And so the translators could have translated this, a man in whom is the Spirit. That would have been a perfectly legitimate translation of the literal Hebrew. Or they could have translated this as a spirited man. A man with the spirit is, is, is spirited, right? And that would be consistent with the idea that he would be a leader because everybody knows that leaders are spirited people. We got spirit. Yes, we do. We got spirit. How about you? And so we all understand that notion. I mean, sometimes in English when we say someone has a spirit of this or that, we don't mean they have a demon. We, we just mean they have a certain attitude, right? Or maybe a certain talent for something. And it's possible that that's what the writer meant, that Moses, as he wrote this, perhaps he meant that, that, uh, that Joshua was a spirited person. Um, and in that case, to say a spirit of leadership is, it's stretching it a little bit, but okay. I'll go along for a minute. The question is, is that what the writer meant to say? Or did he mean that Joshua had the spirit of God in him? I want to argue forcefully <laughs> that the author meant that Joshua was qualified for leadership in the, among God's people because he had the Holy Spirit in him. Now, why would I say that? It's because of what happened in Numbers 11. Moses, we all know that Moses was able to lead the people because of the Spirit of God upon him. The text is clear about that. Moses is overwhelmed with the work. His father-in-law Jethro comes and says, Hey man, you're working yourself to death. You need to delegate responsibility to other people. And there are 70 elders in Israel who are chosen to be Moses' helper. In Numbers 11, 16 through 30, it says this. The Lord said to Moses, <clears throat> Bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there. And I will take some of the power of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, capital S Spirit, that is on you and put it in them. They will share the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. Then skip to verse 25. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with Moses. And he took some of the power of the Holy Spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. When the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied. So in that text, you see this principle that is powerfully communicated in the Old Testament, that in order to be a leader among God's people, 
It is not enough for you simply to be recognized as a leader. It's not enough for you to have talents as a leader. It's not enough that people just look at you and say, oh, he's a born leader. In fact, to be a leader in the work of God, to be a leader among the people of God, you need the anointing of the Holy Spirit on you because the work of God can't be done by unaided human beings. There's a spiritual element to it that we need God's power and God's presence in us if we're going to achieve it. Otherwise, our works are, will be nothing but wood, hay, and stubble. I can tell you that there are many people who try to do God's work in their own power. But you know what? You cannot convert a soul in your own power. You can be the most persuasive person in the world. You can convince people with your arguments that, that Jesus is Lord. But if the Holy Spirit does not help, those people will never be born again. We all of us need the power of the Holy Spirit on our work if we're to do the works of God. Joshua was one of the people there among the 70 elders. He received the Spirit there. And so when God tells Moses to lay hands on him because the Spirit is in him, that's what it's referring to. He's a person already full of the Holy Spirit. Now bring him, give him authority, lay your hands on him. Anoint him before the people of Israel and let them see him as leader. One of the important things to, to, to notice here from a Christian perspective reading the Old Testament is that Joshua here prefigures Jesus. As a matter of fact, in the Latin version of the Old Testament, his name is not Joshua, it's Jesus. Jesus is the Latin translation of Joshua. And the career of Joshua, in some ways, points us towards Jesus, who is the ultimate leader full of the Spirit. Jesus was called the Messiah, in Greek, the Christ. What does Jesus Christ mean? It means Jesus the Messiah, or even more literally, Jesus the Anointed One. What did it mean to be the, the Messiah? To be the Messiah was to be the person upon whom God had poured out the Holy Spirit without measure. Jesus was the Christ, not because somebody gave him that title. He was the Christ. He was the Messiah because he came in the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit. He was born by the power of the Holy Spirit. Mary was impregnated by the power of the Holy Spirit. The creative power that created the world created Jesus in her womb. The Holy Spirit was on him from the womb forward. Everything he did, he did it in the power of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus walked in close communication with the Father, he did it by the Father's presence in him in the Holy Spirit. When Jesus did miracles, he did them by the power of of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus healed the sick, he did it by the power of the Holy Spirit in him. When he liberated people from demonic oppression, he did it by the power of the Holy Spirit working in him. When he walked to the cross and bore our sorrow and our suffering and our pain, he did it by the power of the Holy Spirit that helped him to keep moving forward, keep moving on, to sacrifice for us. And it was the Holy Spirit According to Romans, it says, if that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, it will quicken your mortal bodies. The same spirit 
that is in us now by God's power was in Jesus, raised him from the dead. Jesus was the man of the spirit par excellence, and he is the model of the Christian life that we should follow him, not just doing the things Jesus did because we can't do them unless the Holy Spirit help us, but doing them in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Joshua was a man in whom the Spirit of God was. Does that make, does that justify the translation spirit of leadership? I don't think this, it's an interesting translation. I'm not totally willing to accept it. But I will assert this. Whether the translators meant this or not, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of leadership in the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of leadership because, as the scriptures say, he is the spirit of prophecy. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of leadership because he is the spirit of prophecy. And prophecy is the essence of leadership. Let me explain that. In the Old Testament, prophets do three major things. And there are three different words that, that are used to talk about them, or four, really. The first thing that prophets do is see visions. Um, the word roeh in Hebrew, or, and also the word jose, uh, means a, a, a seer, somebody who sees visions. And especially in the southern kingdom of Judah, prophets were expected to be visionaries. They would get their prophetic uh, message from God by seeing a vision. And if you look at the first few words of the writing prophets, the major prophets and the minor prophets, the ones who are from Judah all start their prophet, prophecy, their book, by saying the vision that came to Isaiah or the vision that came to Jeremiah. And all the prophets from the north will say the word of God that came to Amos or whatever the other prophet's name is. So the northern prophets tended to be word prophets, but the southern prophets tend to be vision prophets. And of course, the northern prophets, they're just called Navi. That's the general word for prophet, but it tends to mean those prophets who announce their prophecies in words, uh, not necessarily in a visionary way, but just in words from God to the people. And then the third role of prophets was, is, is expressed in the term Ish Elohim. Ish Elohim means the man of God. And uh, it refers to prophets like Moses or Elijah or Elisha who did mighty works in the service of God, who were miracle workers by the power of God. And it's those three functions, seeing a vision, communicating to the people, and doing wonders, those are the essence of leadership. One of the best books I ever read on leadership was a, a book by um, Warren Bennis and, and Bert Nannis called Leaders, The Strategies for Taking Charge. And in that book, they lay out four strategies that leaders should follow in taking charge of an, of an organization or group. And the first one, they say, is vision, uh, att attention through vision. When a leader comes and announces a vision, it gets people's attention. That's the beginning of leadership. You can never lead people if you don't have their attention. If you don't have their attention, you're just, uh, you know, you're going to fail. <laughs> vision gets people's attention. 
perhaps the greatest of all the leadership scholars is a fellow named James Montgomery Burns. And um, he, he wrote a book called uh, Leadership, interesting title, 1978. It, was, it really set the template for leadership studies after that. And in that book, he talks about the difference between transformational leaders and transactional leaders. He says that trans, transformational leaders actually come into a situation and make great changes that transform the reality that the group is experiencing. Transactional leaders, on the other hand, they, they're hirelings. They, you know, a group will hire them to come in and run the, run the, uh, the, the organization. There's no expectation that they're going to make any great big changes. There's no expectation that they're going to uh, really challenge anybody or ask them to make any sacrifices. They're just running the business, just running the organization. That's a transactional leader. But a transformational leader comes with a vision for change, comes and declares what the future could be like if we sacrifice for it, and inspires people who before didn't know what to do to solve their problems, who didn't know how to behave, didn't know what the next step would be to get from the misery that they're in to something better. Those people come behind the leader join the vision, which they never could have come up with by themselves. They join into that vision, and they become leaders in the train of the other leader. And they're called on to make sacrifices to make the vision happen. A lot of people come here and make sacrifices to make this vision happen. They get here first. They're here for setup. They're here for worship practice. They're working all week long to make things happen. Why do they do that? Well, they do it because they believe in the vision of the church. And, you know, it wasn't long ago, Pastor Pete came to you and said, let's move out of this building that we're in and have our Sunday services at the school. And there were some people that didn't like it, and they left. Other people said, wow, that's a great idea. That's going to take our church to another place. I'm willing to make a sacrifice to make that happen. And they began to work hard. And it's been a great success. Well, Leaders who give people a vision that requires a sacrifice from them become what Burns calls moral agents because they give people the ability to transcend their situation and develop self-actualization or spiritual growth. People who create spiritual growth in others are moral agents. They're leaders. They're transformational leaders. People who get involved in a transforming vision become leaders. Their lives change. They grow. And what a beautiful thing it is to lead through vision. That's what the prophets of old did. That's what the spirit of prophecy uh, inspires in people. So leaders are prophets. They see the future before anybody else. And then they start working to make it happen. That's my favorite thing about being a leader. It's my favorite thing about having a small university. I went to Northwest. We had 1,259 students. And uh, it was just a school waiting on a vision for change. And uh, today we're 2,343 students. We've grown 88%. We've added a, a dozen graduate programs. We just started our first PhD program this year. Um, the school is changing. The people are happy. We're moving forward. We're all in the same place. This, I love this. I saw this before anybody else, and now it's happening. It's, this, it's so exciting to see the future in advance. 
And then build that team. Build that group of people. And then watch them grow. You know, my favorite thing as a leader is to be able to say, my vice presidents are operating at the highest level of skill and professionalism that they have ever achieved in their life. That's what makes it worthwhile. You know, that's one of the things that makes being a pastor worthwhile is when you look and you see people in your church that have embraced the vision, who have embraced the sacrifice, who are doing the work, and you see them growing, you see them becoming spiritual giants, that is an amazing satisfaction. Or you see people who before didn't know the Lord. One of the visions a pastor has to have is the ability to see every person's need of Jesus and what they might become if they would give their lives to him. People are often in a total mess, a lifetime of mistakes and sins, bad decisions, abuse from other people can leave them unhappy and generators of unhappiness in other people. You know somebody like that? Be enough for them to just be unhappy themselves that you'd want to have compassion. But some people just make everybody unhappy. A lot of people stop seeing any good at them, in them. But a pastor sees a person like that, sees what they would look like if Jesus got a hold of them, if they got a hold of Jesus. True pastors lead people to Jesus. And that's one of the things I admire the most about my friend Pete Hartwig is that he loves to see people come to Jesus. He loves to see people have an encounter with the living Christ that transforms their lives, that picks them up, mends their brokenness. They, pastors know that the most unhappy, the most out of control, the most damaged, the most abusive people can come to Jesus and have their life made new. I think of Leonard Cohen's song, Broken Hallelujah. You've all heard it because you saw the Shrek movie. <laughs> he sings this song about David, and David's just an awful sinner, and the whole song's just broken, and it's such a twisted view, vision of who God is. And I've heard of people who say, all I got to offer God is a broken hallelujah. And I say, oh, goodness, that's awful. You might try meeting God before you offer that. Because, I mean, praising God out of hopeless brokenness can only happen when you don't know Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't come to make our brokenness tolerable. Jesus comes to heal the Bible says that the evil one comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came that we might have life, and more abundantly, Jesus can take your broken cry and turn it into a mended hallelujah, which your praise of God comes not out of resigned bitterness, but out of deep thankfulness, because you encountered Jesus. And he made your life new again. Pastors see it. It's the greatest dignity that a pastor has. To see the future. To see that person that could be. To introduce them to Jesus. And see them become that. What a tremendous privilege.
But pastors do more than just see visions. Pastors also lead with their words. Venice and Annas said that leaders get attention through vision, but they create meaning through communication. By declaring the word of God to the people, pastors put meaning in lives. By declaring a vision for the church, pastors add meaning to life. By creating what Venice and Annas called the social architecture of the church, by bringing leaders together, by making sure that they're trained, giving them the capacity that they need. And what was the pastor doing today? He was telling you to get involved in the Stephen ministry and telling you that there was training for it. And if you took that Stephen minister training that was going to spill out into every area of your life and was going to make your life better, that's what pastors do. They bring meaning to situations through communications. They build social architecture. They build a team that can aid them in bringing about the vision of God. Pete has masterfully deployed these strategies in building City Church into one of the leading churches in Virginia and in the world. Only 5% of churches worldwide reach the size that City Church has reached. 5%. That's pretty elite. It's pretty amazing. Um, 20 years ago, I was talking to a pastor on the phone, and he said, hey, I'm, I'm going to be... Um, uh, I'm going to be candidating at Charlottesville First Assembly in three months. I got off the phone as fast as I could. This, I don't know if it was ethical to do what I did. <laughs> I felt led. <laughs> I thought, that's not the right church for him, but that's the right church for Pete Hardwick. So I called Pete on the phone. I said, Pete, First Assembly of God in Charlottesville, Virginia is looking for pastor you are the right man for that place. That's the right church for you. You'll be able to work with the University of Virginia. You, this will be the perfect place for you to go from Princeton. This is the place. Get your resume in there, but get down there and, I, and, and candidate for the church before three months from now because if this other guy goes, they're going to pick him. <laughs> but if you get in there before him, they're going to pick you. And uh, that wasn't the only thing God was doing to bring Pete Hartwig here, but... Uh, um, I got to see that come about. Pete got his, got his stuff in, came, candidated, the church elected him, and he found himself the pastor of a, of a church that uh, had a good past but needed to turn around, needed a massive transformation. It's hard to do that. It takes about seven years to turn a church around. But in the process of uh, these 20 years, this church has become a shining jewel. So many times over these 20 years, Pete's called me on the phone and said, hey, Joe, I'm facing this. What would you do? And I've told him. So many times I've called him and said, hey, Pete, I'm, I'm facing this. And one of the funny things is Pete and I as friends, I said to him several years ago that C.S. Lewis says friendships have to be about something. It can't just be I like you, you like me, you got a great personality, I got a great personality. And I said, Pete, I'm not interested in a bromance here. <laughs> I don't want to be your friend because I like you. <laughs> I don't want to be a friend, just your friend, because I admire you. This, our friendship ought to be about something. And um, it ought to be about me making you the best leader you can be and you making me the best leader I can be for the, for the sake of the kingdom of God and the advance 
of God's work. And so Pete became a project for me, and I became a project for him. And we have goaded each other for 20 years to do the work of God. And I have been a party to hearing his vision. I have come with him and traveled and walked through this city and visited places that we were thinking about that maybe the church might buy to build a new building and other things. And I have seen the vision of what this church could be because he saw it. And um, you know something? <laughs> the next 10 years at City Church are going to be stunning. You have not even begun to see what you're going to see. Well, you've begun. You've begun. But you've only begun to see what God is going to do because your pastor still has vision and he's still great at communicating it. And you know, the thing is, that third thing I said leaders do is that they do wonders. They see miracles happen. For 20 years, I've been hearing about the miracles that God's been doing at City Church. Frankly, taking a church for about 150 members and increasing its size by a factor of almost 10 is a miracle in itself. Every time someone's come to Christ at City Church, it's been a miracle. It's a miracle that you were able to get this building here, that you've been able to fill it up. It's a miracle that your church is prospering and, and doing great things. It's a miracle that lives have been changed here. And uh, I'm pretty proud of you all. I've been praying for your church for 20 years. And I think this, it's only begun. But we dare not try to go it alone. If we're going to be leaders in the work of God, whether pastors or whether deacons, elders, whether directors of ministries, whether it's being the sound engineer, whether it's leading worship, whether it's running the children's ministries, whether it's running the Stephen ministry, whether it's being a campus minister at University of Virginia, whatever else may be going on, we dare not do this work alone. We are not able in our own talents and abilities to do the work of God. If our work for Christ is based on our talents alone, it'll be like Paul describes in 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians, revealed to be only wood, hay, and stubble in the judgment of God. We want our work to be work that will remain. We want to truly accomplish the work of God, but that requires of us more than our human talents can achieve. We need the spirit of leadership within us. We need the spirit of God to anoint us. And in that light, I want to ask Pastor Pete and Pastor Fran to come up on the platform right now. Peter, why don't you come with them? If some of the, is Ali or Jackie here? Let you come as well if you would. Please join your parents. So the, the favor of God is on this family. You can see it in every one of the kids. You can see it in the parents. And uh, God has great things for them still. So many wonderful things have been done. And greater things are still to come. I believe it with all my heart. Fran, you've got a great season in front of you. <laughs> you've been preparing your whole life for the things you're going to do in the next 10 years. Things you've wanted to do, things you've dreamed about doing for 10 years are going to come true in a way that you can't even begin to imagine yet. Um, it's going to be better than you imagined it. When you went to seminary all those years ago, thinking God was going to use you, it was for everything you've done in the last 20 years. But it was especially for what he's going to do in the next 10. 
this church, please come right now. Join them because I want God's presence on you too. Come up on stage. Yeah, come, come, come. Well, my phone is buzzing like crazy. I'm going to get rid of it if you're a leader at City Church in any capacity, if you if you sweep up afterwards, come. Step out and come. Come. This should be like 50, 60, maybe 100 people here. Come on. If you're a leader at City Church, come. Come, come, come. We need 30, 40. Now some are in our running children's ministries right now. We'll pray for them in absentia. If you're a leader, you can come and you can come in front here too. Just come and gather around us. You don't have to be behind. I want you where you can reach out and touch your pastors. You know, if you can't reach them from behind, come around front. Now, if you have a life to lead, I want you to step up from where you are and come down the front. Down here. Just everybody stand, please. Everybody stand. And everybody walk down the front. If you've got a life to lead, walk forward. Yeah, just fill it up. Fill all the front up. Fill up the aisles. Come on. Come on. We're going to pray. We're going to ask God to do something special today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Lift up your hands and praise the Lord. Just let me hear your praises to God all over the place, here on the platform, all around the room. Just make a joyful noise into the Lord. Lord, we thank you for City Church. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for 20 years of ministry in this place, Lord, for every soul that's been saved, every life that's been healed, every marriage that's been rescued, every life that's been given purpose, every friendship that has been formed, every word of God that has come to the people. We thank you for all of it, Lord Jesus. You have been powerfully at work in this place. We thank you for 20 years of anointing on Pete and Fran and on the staff of this church that have made possible this tremendous miracle before God and before the people. We thank you, Lord Jesus. You have not abandoned them and never for even a moment have they been left alone. Never have they been left to their own devices. Never have they been left to their own strength or their own power or their own wisdom or their own words. But you have attended them. You have been with them. You've walked with them. You've walked ahead of them and you've walked behind them. Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has, has completely surrounded them in all of their work here. And we thank you for it, Lord. We, all of us, have been the beneficiaries of it. It's now a thanks for 20 years of anointing. We pray a double portion of your spirit on Pete and Fran in the name of Jesus. Pour out your spirit even more greatly among them, Lord Jesus, that they would see the mighty works of God done in this place and on their children, Lord Jesus, that they have raised up to follow God, that they've raised up with a vision, they've raised up with a purpose. Lord, let them see the mighty hand of God on their life. Let nothing they do, Lord, fall to the ground as a failure because they are walking with you and they're empowered by you. Use them, Lord, in the places where they're studying, in the friendships that they're making. Use them, Lord, to bring others to faith in Jesus, to powerful encounter with the living Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord Jesus, let the next 10 years be years that completely eclipse the past 20. Let the, let the words and the testimonies and the stories of the next 10 years truly illustrate what God will do, what the Spirit of God will do with people who are completely yielded to Him. And Lord, I speak not just of Pete and Fran, but of all the leaders who are on this platform now who've walked with me. I pray that you would pour the Holy Spirit out on them, Lord, that they would be workers that work with these pastors 
that are full of the Spirit and full of uh, sympathy with what God wants to do in this place, who will add their yes and their amen to everything God wants to do, who will put feet to their prayers, who put hands to their prayers and be used of God in this place like never before. Lord, that you would bring about futures in their lives that they would never have dared to imagine because they couldn't see past their own talents and abilities. But give them more, Lord Jesus. Give them more. Hone them. Sharpen them. Empower them, Lord Jesus, that they might do the great works of God in this place. And now, Lord Jesus, for every one of these people with the life to lead, people with a job to do, people in fellowship and in community with others, Lord, we are unable to do the works of God in ourselves. And so, Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on this church, on every person here, Lord Jesus. Encounter the the risen Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. I command you, in Jesus' name, walk with God. Allow God's Spirit to, to fuel you, to empower you, to push you forward. Let God's Spirit make you a mighty success. In, the, in your family, in the raising of your children, and in the conduct of your marriage, and in the conduct of your emotional life. Let God's Spirit constrain you. Let God's Spirit empower you. Let God's Spirit be seen in you. As you go to work and you are in the workplace, may God empower you there. May people see not only the, the presence of God on you and the favor of God on you, but let them see God doing wonders through you in your work, in your everyday life, in your business, in your job, in your study, in your calling. In the name of Jesus, receive the holiness of God through His Spirit. In the name of Jesus, receive wisdom from the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, receive revelation and truth and knowledge by the Spirit of knowledge and truth and wisdom. By the Holy Spirit, receive the very presence of God powerful and do the work of God. Lord, we thank you for every person here. Lord, if there be a single person in this place today who came in need of an encounter with Jesus, even now, Lord, would you flood into their heart? Would you flood into their mind? Would you touch their body? Would you cause them to know that Jesus is here? Awaken in them a hunger for you. It would cause them to seek you and seek you and seek you until they find you. And Lord, Jesus himself said, if you fathers, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your sons and your daughters, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Lord, we are asking, give us more. Give us more. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Let's just continue to worship. Continue to praise the Lord. There where you are, lift up your praise to God. Lift up your worship to Jesus. Lift up your need. In the name of Jesus, receive from him. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Worship you. We worship you.
come to the fountain Dip your heart in the streams of life Let the pain and the sorrow Be washed away In the waves of His mercy As deep cries out to Let's sing it with all of our hearts. Let's sing it together. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Sing all who are thirsty. All who are thirsty. All who are Come to the fountain, dip your heart in the streams of life, let the pain and the sorrow be washed away in the waves of his mercy, as deep cries out to our service. We're going to conclude our service by just simply asking the Holy Spirit to touch us and to fill us. I don't know about you, but I was challenged by that word, that we need the Spirit of God in our lives, not only to lead in the workplace or in ministry, but in our daily individual lives. So Jesus, we step towards you now by faith, and we ask that your Holy Spirit would fill us. God, thank you as a church family for what you've done over the past 20 years. It is truly by your grace and by your mercy that we've experienced the things that we have. But now as a collective church family, we now by faith surrender to you our lives in the next 10 and 20 years. We pray in them that you would anoint us for what is ahead, for the sacrifice and for the calling and the obedience that's needed to fulfill your vision and your mission for City Church. God, thank you that we get to be a part of what you're doing in this wonderful city of Charlottesville. Lord, thank you for this opportunity that we've had to be challenged by your word. And now, may the Lord bless us. May the Lord keep us. May the Lord turn his face toward us and give us his peace and His grace. We pray these things now in Christ's name. In Jesus' name we ask. Let's worship together. When your heart is full, you may leave. Come, Lord Jesus, come.
to go you're welcome to go but don't leave until the Lord has done what he needs to do in you today great is your faithfulness faithfulness I'm still in your hands this is my confidence you've never
shake before you the demons run and flee at the mention of your name king of majesty there is no power in hell or any who can stand before the powerful and mighty God that nothing can stand against you Lord I pray that you would fight our battles that we would trust you God you are worthy God you are holy Lord I pray that you would be with us as we go from this place that you'd give us boldness and your presence would be with us, Father. We love you. We ask this in Jesus' name.